Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. You best start believing in ghost stories. You're in one. There are no survivors. The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a part of the Caribbean podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the parts of the Caribbean films, and yes, the expanded universe we dabble in history, stress, and euphemisms, and strive to have a hell of a good swashbuckler time each and every week. It's a show where we break down each and every film in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise two blimey minutes at a time. It's a little escape to a time where disease really ran rampant and dental hygiene was... As I always say, blasphemy. I'm Scott Artist from ScottArtist.com. And I'm Heather Artist from BlackPearlShow.com. My tongue hurts. <laughs> I'm just well, going to say it. bite your tongue. I know. And now it's right in a spot where it's, it feels like it's hard to talk. I can't eat very well because it just it like rubs on my tooth really bad. So it's not like it's in the front or something like that where it just like dangles out there. This is like on the side where... All movement of tongue action happens to eat, to talk, everything. This is this is what the pain I have to go through. This is my cross to bear. My tongue doesn't seem to rub on my teeth all the time. You must have a tiny tongue. <laughs> That's weird. It's right on the side. It hits it. Damn it. Now I got to talk and do this show and it's like... I don't want to say it's like I'm on the executioner's gallows. You're though, on the what? The executioner's gallows. Hey. Don't make fun of me if I can't talk right, okay? It's the tongue. It's the tongue. So basically, you're telling everybody you bit your tongue and so you're going to talk weird tonight. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> it's brutal. And I keep hitting it, and so it's just getting worse. Pretty soon, my tongue will swell to the size of a... I don't... What would it swell to? I don't know. Something. Have you tried hot sauce? No, I'm not putting hot sauce on it. Or lemon juice or any of that stuff. We got a lot of responses to my salacious opinion on the placement of Hoist the Colors. You know, that little ditty, that song in the opener of At World's End. And a few allies, but definitely appears my opinion is not quite on the popular scale there. But no, I still don't feel bad about my breakdown and I stand by my thoughts on that. But I appreciate everyone weighing in. It's part of the fun of the show. That's what makes things yeah nice to hear what everybody's saying and to then... To hear Scott's Aliza said, I appreciate everybody weighing in. You're not part of the everybody. And most people weren't that blatant, by the way. It came close. But they, came were, they were nice about it? Most. <laughs> 99%. There you go. <laughs> but what I bring... I, I, okay, not what I bring. But why I'm bringing this back up is this kind of heated topic. I definitely don't want more comments on it necessarily. Unless you're just catching up. Whatever. Okay, comment away if you want. 
But after that episode, Jeff Hamill posted in the fi- Facebook uh, Curse of Listeners crew group, the Facebook group, uh-huh. a song from creators of South Park, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, called Cannibal the Musical, <laughs> in response to the episode title and the discussion around Hangings the Musical. <laughs> so, I mean... Firstly, Jeff made my day as I had no idea this thing existed. And of course, I loved it. I mean, who wouldn't want Cannibal the Musical? (laughs) Because it ties right into our podcast about food at the table with the Donner Party. So, Well, that and they're really dancing while they're singing the Hanging Man song. The Hanging Man song. Yeah, the Hanging Man song. (laughs) That's true. And my second point, it's it's a freaking song called Hang the Bastard, which is good. (laughs) Man, my tongue, I tell you. I'm, I may not make it. I may just throw in the towel and and have the executioner pull the handle, drop drop the noose on me, hang the bastard. They and it say. sounds like you went to the dentist. <laughs> I Look know, at the but drool coming down your cheek. <laughs> no, that's normal. I always drool. <laughs> that's not because of the tooth. That's just because that's what I do. <laughs> it's just part of what I do. But <laughs> hang the bastard. Do you need the towel? <laughs> it's like I need a bib. <laughs> Everyone is gathering around to watch a town hanging in the Old West. Maybe that's why I'm drooling. I'm like, oh, I wish I could have been at a time where you, your entertainment for Friday night was like, let's go. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like to, to the tune of let's go to the lobby or let's all go to the lobby. Don't it's, they normally hang people at dawn? I don't know. Not I'm just really saying dusk. it's a Friday entertainment thing is what I'm saying. In the Old West, that's what I'm saying. Just what we're talking about. How everyone comes out to watch the gruesome display of justice, so-called justice, sometimes justice. Then there's a cowbell, s- cowbell, <laughs> I'm not going to make it, a cowbell solo, a frequent meme on the show that we talk about, more cowbell. But here's a few seconds, so when you're out and about, or, okay, when you're out and about inside for 4th of July, you can sing the song. Hey, it's a good learning thing for the entire family. It's a song that I encourage children to learn. It's a family sing-along? Yes, it is a family sing-along. Get the entire class next time to flash mob this when you're back at school. Fire this up while you're at your desk or on your next Zoom class. (laughs) And make this happen. The teacher will love it. Sorry, I had to wipe the spittle from my drooling face. Here you go. Hang the bastard. Stop Just a few seconds. Stop speaking moistly, please. Yeah, exactly. I need to wear a mask in here. <laughs> and it's not for a virus. It's just to keep you from being drenched by my drool. So thanks, Jeff. I love this. And speaking of listener feedback and comments, I completely dropped the ball and missed a Facebook message, which is, for those that know me, is not unusual. (laughs) No, not at all. David Jackson brought up an incredible oversight. He says, I must point out that there has been a conjoiner, a tie-in, if you will, binding Pirates of the Caribbean to the office since the first moment we laid eyes on Rigetti. Has that not surfaced in the studio yet? Mackenzie Crook plays Gareth in the British version of The Office. Well, David, as I towel off my lips, tis an incredible point and an unforgivable oversight on our part. 
I really don't remember if we mentioned this way back in season one when we possibly talked about Rigetti being on the British version. Right. I mean, those are that's three yeah, years ago. Yeah, it's possible we mentioned it, but we did, definitely didn't really talk about it. I mean, if we did, it was really just a mention. So we dropped so many offense. Offense. I'm so dead. <laughs> we drop offenses too. <laughs> yeah, offenses, yeah. That is true. But we drop a lot of office references as avid, I mean, avid fans. This is a show that will constantly play in the background. If we're doing something and you just want some noise in the background, instead of a radio We play The thing, Office. We'll put, we'll put The Office on. So it's always running. And I don't want to start another round of blasphemous conversations, but most of our fandom really centers around the U.S. version. We'll just yes. say that. And for those of you who are also fellow fans, you'll even notice that our new intro for Pirate Fact of the Week has a clip from The Office when Jim is trolling Dwight. It's like my tongue is getting in the way. Quit laughing at me. i got to get through this. But yes, more importantly, it's Pirates of the Caribbean Garrus Fever Dream is my thoughts. It's like a Indiana Jones Fever Dream, Star Wars, Han Solo, all that kind of stuff. Is this all in the mind of The Office worker here? That's what I want to know. But you be the judge. But yes, the tie-in is solid, and that is something I really do feel bad about, and if that is an oversight, we might have to turn in our Office fan cards for not really bringing that up. Even if it's a British version, it's still an Office tie-in that we did not mention. That's pretty ridiculous. Well, we may have. We just don't recall three years ago. <laughs> there was a lot of rum drinking during that <laughs> time period of season one. Lots of rum drinking. But since we're on the Office topic... I think you know what that means. Let's roll that trolling gem for Pirates of Facts of the Week. Pirates of the Caribbean Facts of the Week. Whatever I'm trying to say here. It's Pirate Fact of the Week with Jim from The Office. There you go. Fact. Bears eat beets. Bears beets. Captain Jack Sparrow. Pirates so brave. On the seven seas. Fun fact. Fun fact. Okay, go for it. Pirates did wear patches. It's actually pirate fact of the week, not fun fact of the week. But go ahead. Pirates did wear eye patches and not because they were blind or didn't have an eye. They wore them so that their eyes could adjust more quickly between the bright ship deck and the dark below decks. Mm. I think someone, one of our listeners mentioned that. In a message, a Facebook message, probably a long time ago, or maybe even in the Cursed Listeners group. It's possible. I don't know. Yeah, it sounded like a okay. Fun you're fact bringing today. it to the masses. Okay. <laughs> they would patch one eye so that they can always adjust to the darkness. That makes sense. Yeah. I do that. I wear an eye patch. I know you do. Just to uh, for that thing. Yes. It it helps people. It by wearing the eye patch for myself. It draws people. It, it draws. It draws the, people to wonder what the heck's wrong with you. Yes, but then they're not seeing me drool. So that's the point. That's true. They're looking at the eye patch and not the the hanging drool off my uh, my lips. They may be looking at the whole package. Uh, it's quite the package they're seeing. <laughs> really, timbers. Oh, <laughs> uh, literally, we're not drinking rum. I wish we were, but it sounds like it. Yes, and all that fun stuff. It really all stems from the swollen tongue. In the previous minutes, Disney, you know, that company that has endured the onslaught of children around the world for decades, decides enough is enough as they hoist up the cabin boy for a good old-fashioned juvenile hanging. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing says we love being in the business of children than hanging their customers. To a tomb. (laughs) Now, that's a good strategy. 
It's tragedy. Stra- I just I just coined a new word. Strategy. It's a strategy and a tragedy all in one. A strategy. It's a strategy and a song. If it ain't broke, Disney, don't you fix it. And copyright on that uh, trademark strategy? On, on strategy. Strategy. <laughs> yeah. Coined it right here on the Black Pearl Show. You heard it first. Minute five begins with Beckett smirking and saying, finally. As the condemned sing hoists the colors in the background, the camera focuses in on the cabin boy as he inspects his pieces of eight for one last time. Minute six ends with Elizabeth encountering Tai Huang in a yet unknown place in Asia. Tai continues, a dangerous song to be singing for anyone ignorant of its meaning, particularly a woman. Our first not particularly a woman. Yeah, particularly partic- a Not, woman. so... He's he's questioning Elizabeth. <laughs> nice costume you got there, pirate man. <laughs> it's, it's an old Austin. I just wanted to go into an Austin Powers thing, but I don't know if it's quite uh, appropriate these days. That's not a man, baby. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Our first dot, dot, dot. Anyways, now you screwed up the whole thing. It's our first dot, dot, dot of season three, I think. So that's nice. Yes. You need some numbing agent to help your tongue. I do. It's just so it you feels, can speak properly. It feels like it's just dangling like a big dog tongue right out of my <laughs> face. Now here's where I'm. It okay. doesn't just feel like it. It looks, it looks like, like it. That's it. <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> I'm okay with the hoist the colors thing here. You are. Yeah, I'm gonna preface even, it. Even, oh, you don't even know where I'm going now because it's a focus on the boy. Okay, the boy is singing it. This is where I'm going. I'm not okay. jumping ahead. Okay. It's a focus on the boy. Okay. A, he's about to meet his demise and he is kind of quietly singing the song to himself, right? A somber tone. Uh, he's reflecting on his short life, grasping the pieces of eight. And it definitely gives me the sense that he knows pirates will get the ultimate revenge for everyone on the gallows today. That's what I'm okay with. Okay. We get a decent, What? Did, did you have a problem with that, or did you think I was going to have a problem with that part of this? No, not until... You were going with Elizabeth. You're jumping all yeah. the way to the end, and you always harp on me I'm going me to the, for very, to the, the end. end, end, yes. Well, we got to get there first. Okay. Because there's some definite breakdown stuff I got to do to roll us to okay. that point. But we get a decent look at the pieces of eight he's holding. Yes, we It's a Spanish dollar, actually. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. It has a fascinating history, and I'm not going to get really much into it here. But I'll just say that the Spanish dollar was widely used by many countries. And it, it was like this first international type of currency, okay? And it, it had, and I think part of that was, is that it had this uniformity and standard and milling characteristics. So it was like an accurate coin that could be trusted. So the value could be trusted that you are getting what you're getting kind of thing. Hmm. And some countries, because of this, even countersigned the Spanish dollar so it could be used in their their local currency, which was pretty cool. Oh, wow. And it really became the first world currency by the late 18th century. This is the one that was all over the place. Wow. Yeah. And I bet you, speaking of fun facts, Beast, is that it was even the coin upon which the original United States dollar was based and it remained legal tender in the U.S. until the Coinage Act of 1857. Wow. Yeah. Told you I'd blow your mind with peace of Mind blown. Yeah, it is. In this shot, though, we also see the reverse kind of, of the coin. It's the tails. There's the front, which the coin people call obverse. And then the reverse is the tails. So heads and tails, if you will. I know it's worn out, but it says around the edge, Ferdinand and Elizabeth 
by the grace of God. In the center displays the arms of the Catholic monarchs that is after 1492. And then there's a letter S on the left is the kind of the sign of the mint of Seville, you know, where the barber was located. And eight in Roman numerals on the right, which is the value. Pieces of eight has eight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The it's a value of eight Spanish reals. So hmm. that's where you get it. And if you're curious, the front of this particular version of the coin says King and Queen of Castile, Leon, Aragon, and displays the personal emblems of the monarchs. Ferdinand's is arrows and Isabella's is a yoke. There you go. And I think we may have talked about it before, but the coins in, in the expectation was it's not like, you know, destroying currency today is so-called illegal. Yeah. Or is illegal and whatever. Yeah. But it was designed to be cut up into eight pieces. Oh, yeah, so I read that too. Change. Yeah. Oh, ho, ho, ho. all of a sudden, you're I thought an that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And I've seen some stuff when I was doing research where they had like halves and quarters of this stuff. Yeah. Um, that, that have just been found through history. I actually seen, of that. seen one where they were like the sides were chopped. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. Go. And I also love the transition when the executioner drops the hammer of justice for that little boy. Now a lever? Yeah, exactly. Well hanged pirates at this point, I call them. They're wow. just well hanged. Really? Yeah. How do you know? Because they've been hanged. Oh. It's just I don't know what you're getting at because hung is different. Hanged is the is, your mind's in the gutter. No. I'm talking hanged as in the executioner's trade, because you hang somebody, the past tense is hanged. Whereas if you had hanged something like an object, it would be hung. But you or, don't actually see them. Oh, they're well hanged, I tell you. They're dead. Because the falling coin title screen, this is how I know all this happens. Oh, okay. The falling coin title screen pops up as if the boy drops his pieces of eight when the noose tightens from the fall. The screen goes black. Oh, boom. I mean, a mer- metaphorical lights goes out moment for that little boy. Always good when the lights goes out for a little boy like that. Except for the hope that the coin brings, say, for the pirates. That's kind of where, what I'm looking at. But then we get a shot of the front of the coin. And this is where it's not as like what I expected. It's not the same freaking coin that we just saw the kid holding. Those is bastards switcherooed us. Well, that's weird. It is weird. They switcherooed the whole thing. I mean, because it's not what I typically see for a Spanish dollar in my research as well. Mm-hmm. So It's fake. The one, I don't know. And I'm not going to say that because there's a lot of versions out there. But in my research of doing this, <laughs> I didn't find one that looked like that. Fully. Okay. That had both front and back that looked like that. Oh, okay. Front or back? Yes. I'll have to see. Yeah. Which one was it? One of them. There, there was like one that I found, but not the other. Okay. And like, if you really look at the flipping coin, it looks more like it's a Spanish real. Would it be really a flipping coin or a falling coin? It's flipping. Is it flipping? Falling? Seems it's going up in the air and flipping. So you, you but say this that, is a falling. So coin. you say that when the coin flips, it's it always goes air. up. It never comes back down. <laughs> it never keeps the same motion as it's coming down. Yeah, but it's doing it just slowly. Do you really call it flipping if it's doing it slowly? I would say it's it really when it's in slow. slow motion because I don't know how you did. <laughs> I'm going to put a slow flip on this coin as I flip it. And then it's like, duh, 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 and my <laughs> thumb gently goes up and it's, how dare you? How dare you? I mean, you can put a faster spin on it, but to get it that slow, you got to be really talented. Anyways, this one here is a Spanish real, or maybe it's a replica or some kind of 
hybrid prop replica. Because the value that I saw in this one was worn away. So I'm not even sure which value this was. But they did have different values in Roman numerals. Like some would have a two on this it or something like eight. that. Well, this one is not a pieces of eight. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> Pulled the switcheroo on us. It's the front that is not something I could find in my research. That's what it was. It was the front, okay? They're similar versions, but not the same one. So I'm maybe wondering if this is a replica or a prop replica. The reverse, though, has this uh, long kind of thin cross in a quartered rosette, or what they will often call an octolobe. Yeah. It's separating the two castles, symbolic of Castile, from two lions, symbolic of Lyon, along with the date and it's said Hispanarium Rex, meaning King of Spain's. And Spain's is plural, just like we would also say the, about the United States. States, the states were in the states. Yeah. So yeah. Today on Coin Talk, <laughs> Spanish dollars and reals <laughs> for all you coin collectors listening in. There you go. You're laughing at coin collectors. How dare you? I'm I'm laughing at. Do you really think coin collectors are listening to our show? Yes, I think they're <laughs> out there. I want to get some of these coins now. We gave away some coins, remember? Didn't we give away some coins on the show as part of a prize package? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A, yeah. So I'm a coin. We've, we've done coins. Anyways, as I was talking about things I love. And it, it was more about the scene, not the actual lights out of the boy. That's not necessarily what I love. It's the whole package transition. The other thing is this blatant callback to Curse of the Black Pearl by giving the coin a theme song. The theme song comes back. It has a similar vibe, and maybe it's actually the exact same version. I should have probably double-checked this. From the one that was used in the Curse of the Black Pearl, the first movie, from the Cursed Coins. It kind of sounds like a tuning rod. A tuning rod. As it's falling, yeah, okay. it sounds like a tuning yeah, rod. But you know those things? You know, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. As yeah. opposed to the divining rod where we were looking for water exactly. in our backyard the other day. <laughs> Couldn't find any water. You know, we live in California. We have water. But it does kind of sound like that. But it, I think it's the, the same song from the first movie, the coin that had the theme. Whenever we would see the medallion. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe that's a good way the, to put the, it. The, the medallion rod. or the coin. Yeah. It's both. Okay. Because here we have a coin and that was a medallion slash coin gold. But it all kind of makes me wonder if this is a different kind of curse. If this is a tie-in. Breaking our kind of own rules. And I'm going to look ahead just for slightly for a second. No, you can't. Just slightly. Is this symbolic of a curse for those mobilizing against the pirates? Like the Brethren Court. Is this Pieces of Eight kind of a curse on Beckett? In Curse of the Black Pearl, the curse afflicted the pirates, right? Yeah. In At World's End, kind of a finger quotes final installment for the storyline at this particular time, kind of what we thought things were ending. Is this the bookend here? That curse that will basically doom the greedy Beckett. And that's why the opening title sequence is so powerful. I think it has some callbacks. And here's where I'm going with all of this and the comparisons. Think about this. Elizabeth is wearing her pirate medallion, the cursed gold. She falls from the fort due to the corset of death, as I remember we called it. Yes. Hits the water. She's slowly falling and sinking to the bottom of the ocean. Kind of like the slowly falling coin. Yeah. I'll say falling for you that time. The medallion reverberates and alerts Barbosa and the skeleton crew. Here's where the freaking piece is that you need to return yourselves to uh, to life. Yeah. Okay. They know where the location is. Here, though, we get the pirates singing Hoist the Colors. 
initiating a call to the Brethren Court, which is focused on to the boy, okay? Yeah. As he drops, the coin falls. That signals the ultimate curse, the doom for Beckett, right? Because that's the, the final reverberation. Mm. It's the slow motion to the ground. The Brethren Court's alerted. All that yada, yada, yada. Yes. And as I think I mentioned already, the starting thing that happened is Elizabeth as a girl... And she's singing, and this starting with a boy, both embracing pirates through a symbolic medallion, singing a coin, that kind of stuff. Hmm. That's that's it's kind of. Did you read this somewhere? No, I did not. This all came from my from your brain. Yeah, because I I had to use so much power to block out the craziness of my tongue, my affliction, as I call it, (laughs) my my severe affliction. That mental power was all diverted. It's like. On Star Trek, you divert all the energy from the, you know, to the shields, to the forward shields or whatever. I have diver- because I needed to shut off everything else to to just forget about that. So I put it all into brain juice, and I came up I with see. this brain juice. Yeah, it's a technical term. <laughs> we are brought to you this week by Urban Bird Foundation. Start conserving birds in your community today at urbanbird.org/shop. Make a symbolic owl adoption for yourself or a friend and help grassroots bird conservation and wildlife rescues. I know many of you are wondering just why in the Blooming Cockroaches I'm talking about Urban Bird Foundation on a show about Pirates of the Caribbean. But come on, have you seen what Cotton's Parrot has gone through? Chased by cannibals, weathered the Kraken, avoided cannon explosions, and even miraculously survived a trip back underwater from Davy Jones's locker. Clearly, Pirates of the Caribbean needs some bird love. You can give birds a helping hand, mateys. You know you can't have a Disney pirate without a bird. So save a pirate by saving birds at urbanbird.org shop. Urban Bird Foundation. Birds. People. Communities. Hey, when the when the coin finally falls to the ground. Yeah. Is that, it look, kind of looks like gold dust it lands in. I, I didn't take it as gold dust. Took it I, as dirt? Yeah, because... That's what is also interesting about the opener. Like I said, it goes black. So we're kind of getting only partial. It's like the nether world. The nether region of the world is the coin is falling. And so not only is it a title sequence and it hits that so we get the bounce. But then there's some of the dust and the dirt from the location. And when mm-hmm. it hits, it comes up. So that's how I kind of took it. It's it's still part of that transition, that link to this is what happens to the kid and this is also the title, Mm-mm. but they're connected. That's how I took it. Okay. There's also some well-placed singing, um, since we were talking just about singing. This is, I think, where you are probably going. You're smirking at me. This is well-placed singing. I think it is. You're. I don't think you believe me. You think I'm backtracking? How dare you? Go ahead. I think it is. The, Elizabeth is in her boat. Okay. And she's singing this to herself. We know Elizabeth does this. When it's foggy out. If there's fog, she's going to sing. That's what happens. That's her, her shtick. Okay. Okay. I'm it's fine pretty with it. much the law of the land to sing in creepy fog for her. That's what she does. So check that box for her. She's done it. Plus, it's like hiding in plain sight. By singing, she's blending in to the surroundings as opposed to drawing the British attention to herself. Okay. Or even that of Ian Mercer that we see kind of pop through. Because. It's something that, well, I get, I kind of get the the idea that by singing, she's acting maybe as somebody who would really be there, as opposed to trying to hide quietly and just sneak by. By singing, she's 
not being super quiet. And so it doesn't look like she's obviously trying to hide. She kind of blends into the surroundings. That's how I take it. You get it? Yeah. So she doesn't stick out more than maybe she already sticks out as a white lady. Well, she's hiding under her hat, too. But yeah, okay. So there you go. But the set is simply spectacular here. And I, I can't wait to get deeper into this as we go. And I love it. I mean, it has such a Pirates of the Caribbean theme park ride feel. I can't get over it. It's going through the vignettes. You see, like, the the archways. Yeah. The There's a metal, like, wrought iron gates on some of them. In the canals, it has the low light. It really is a nostalgic ride with a different pirate setting. It's got fishing baskets. Yeah. Hanging down from... And this is, I swear, it's, it's like a revisit for the yeah. ride. Yeah, yeah. If there's one thing Pirates of the Caribbean does right, it's creepy canal rides. We saw it with the theme park ride. There is the trip to Tia Dalmas multiple times. And now here in At World's End, in our undisclosed Asia location at this point. <laughs> I'm even good with Tai Hong. Because he's finishing the lyrics for her as kind of a surprise You're okay entrance. with that? Wait, wait for it. Mostly okay with it. I knew you were going to think that I was not okay with this. And maybe I am, maybe I'm not. That's none of your business. Okay, I'm going to tell you. And I say this, the way that he jumps in is bordering on a musical. It's okay? way more musical than the other How, Get the hell out group. of here. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, I d- yeah. It is Phantom of the Opera-like. Yeah. Because he kind of appears out of the shadows to yeah. finish the song. Okay. But. Not to say I'm saying this is musical. But. Welcome to the to dark look, side. To look, Send all your hate no, mail no, to no, heaven no. this time. To look at it, compare it to the last, what you call musical, to this, this was more musical-like than that. This is very short. Okay. And that's why I said. Yeah. And I he said was it ending bor- her song. And it borders on musical, I said. It borders on a musical. I said it. I blatantly said Phantom of the Opera. It reminds me of that. Really, it does. But it's not as bad for me as the other. I'm okay with it because it's, I don't know. I don't know why I'm more okay with this. Maybe because of the length of it and the placement and she's singing this. I don't know what it is, but it, damn it. Now, are you making me think that it's even more musical now? I yeah. don't want to go down this road. You're saying this is basically like Phantom of, Phantom of the Phantom Opera. Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. I must get a tongue issue too. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to my world. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. He finishes, as soon as she gets off the boat, he finishes her song. Yeah, not soon as. She's walking up. So, okay. He's been. (laughs) You wiping that drool again? Yeah, I was wiping the drool. He's kind of watching her and I have some stuff that comes up that I talk about that. And how the song and stuff like that. But I think that this fits better maybe because of the, the length. I, God, I can't even say that length that comes off of it. I think that's maybe how it, it translates or works for me a little bit better. And there's no uh, choreographed movements. That's, I think, another thing. I mean, if he was doing a small jig there while doing it, then I'd be wondering. But he does come out kind of the powerful phantom finishing Yeah. Damn, Christine's song. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't want to go down too much of this road and get the hatred again. Although I have embraced the dark side. The dichotomy, though, of the British overlooking the song. Because, okay, here's maybe where I'm okay with it. Is I was just kind of starting to go down that road and I collected my thoughts. It plays into this idea that she's singing it. The British are going by and hear it. They don't think anything of it. The song doesn't 
do anything for them. Well, they don't react at all. I'm not sure they did. He- I'm not sure they. I'm hear saying it. that they hear it. Uh, that it's just background she's noise to them. Pretty quiet. But it's background noise for them. If you take this away from me, I have nothing to say. <laughs> so, it's if they do hear it as background noise, then it doesn't mean anything to them. It's the idea that they overlook it because it's nothing. It goes over their heads in regards to the meaning. But Huang jumping in gives additional context to the song. It's a pirate code thing. Huang has the perfect pirate element to him. So he recognizes the meaning of the song as, say, a fellow pirate, potentially. Mm. Whereas the British overlook it because they don't have any clues to what it is. It's just another work song or shanty or whatever. That That's kind of where I'm going. And it's short-lived. It's not a long thing like the previous minutes. But it's like Ian Mercer, to me, is Huang. He's kind of that evil type of guy. And I think he has a perfect pirate element to him. He's like the opposite of Ian Mercer to some extent. Not the company guy, but the pirate guy. And I know we're going to get more on Huang later on. But as an intro, he's a Chinese man with a scarred burn face. <laughs> I'm just going to throw it out there. One eye is faded gray, the other is brown. He has long scraggly mustache and a beard and wore his waist length, black hair and a ponytail. Wears a woven straw, workman's hat, a.k.a. a coolie hat, rice hat, farmer's hat, conical hat, oriental hat. And the list probably goes on. Do you have stuff on the hat? The coolie hat is a UK name, right? Oh, I think so, yeah. Yeah. If you have stuff on that, you can... No, I, I didn't because I asked you. But... Um, it's also, he has a studded leather cloak, and uh, he owned a French single-shot flintlock pistol with a small bayonet attached. And he owned it? Did something happen to it? He owned it. He owns it or owned it? Owns it at this point. <laughs> he owns it. And he has a uh, dao that he carries in his belt, which is a um, like a single-edged Chinese sword that's for slashing and chopping. Hmm. Slashing and chopping. He's portrayed by Reggie Lee. You may remember us mentioning dear old Reggie. Dead Man's Chess as he played the dude headless on the Dutchman. Headless. Ah, headless. headless. The... Guy who loses his head. The, the hermit crab did? Oh, okay. Looks totally different. Uh, one's CGI, one's not. Sure. It's him in real form this time, not CGI'd dude. Oh, also uh, forgot. Did you notice that when Huang is making his so-called introduction, his uh, Phantom's introduction here? To Elizabeth, he doesn't freaking blink. I didn't notice that. That's so crazy. I mean, it's like crazy compelling as an evil-eyed mastermind. Yeah, don't give me a... Don't give me the... Blink your eyes, for God's sakes. (laughs) Did you just notice that because of that show you watched the other day? I don't know why I noticed it. Because they zoomed in on his eyes and he wasn't blinking. Are you sure you didn't just blink the same time he did? And you didn't notice (laughs) That's possible. <laughs> my, my blinking, because I was with him for so long, my blinking got synchronized. Exactly. <laughs> so I couldn't tell he was blinking. Blinked at the same time. We were always blinking at the same time. So it looked like his eyes were open all the time. That's, that's a good point. I have, have to look into that. I'll do a shot by shot comparison. Film myself watching You Juan. don't blink and watch him. <laughs> I'll see what happens. But I do think that when you focus in on the dude, especially since we get a close-up on his face as he spills kind of the warning about Hoist the Colors, it really kind of does this compelling look about it. 
It conveys like this incredibly serious attitude, and I really like that. It's a great touch by Verbinski. And or if he did that, I don't know. Did Verbinski say don't blink when delivering your lines? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe the dude just doesn't blink. That's possible. He never blinks. He's, he's got the so world's into the being eyes. character. He's like That's why one of his eyes is faded he's out. Like, it's nobody just, can see that but you. But anyway. <laughs> his eyes are fading out because he doesn't blink. Yeah. That's possible. They're drying out. They're shriveling up. It's like a cursed pirate medallion. His eye has it. It's just, it's an undead eye. Just one eye? Just one eye. So he blinked the other one? He didn't blink any eyes. One's faded, one's not. Do you have any favorite shots in the minute? The guy chopping the the fish heads off? That's your favorite shot of the scene? (laughs) That actually looked like real fish. It did. Probably went to the market. Yeah, probably. He needs a better knife though. Yeah, he was having problems chopping that head off. He's probably not a master butcher or anybody who's doing that. He's an actor, but come on. This looks like a fisherman's town. Well, yeah, but I'm saying the actor himself probably didn't have a lot of experience lopping off fish heads. Dude, you need to lop that sucker off, right? He's massacring the meat. He is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's. Man, I hope that's for home use and he's not selling that butchered filet. He was. Yeah. Do I have a favorite? Shot. Or shots. My favorite shot actually is the title, Pirate's title, where the coin is falling. Hmm, that's a good one. I really like that, the seeing the coin fall, because it's all slow motion. Yeah, you admit it's slow motion now. Not it's just some slow motion. weird Pirates of the Caribbean universe gravity. I it wasn't slow motion. I said it, Their I can, gravity I is like half. because it's. 4.5 it's just, meters per second squared for gravity in the Pirates of the Caribbean universe versus ours. I know my shot was the when Elizabeth is seen in the boat from behind all the pier pillars with the red glow of the lanterns in the background. I thought that was pretty yeah. cool. The second one I like is the child running over the bridge and lighting the fireworks. I, I like, like that the goat. Too. The goat. <laughs> First I thought it was a dog, but the goat. Are the fireworks a warning that Mercer and his crew are there? I don't know. I don't know if it's a warning for Mercer. I think it's a warning for for Elizabeth. They know the British are there. And oh, and that's why I like the shot with the fireworks and the kid because it has this element of subterfuge. It, it's like an ominous feel. It breaks the lighting up. Okay, here, here we go. Breaks the lighting up in the tone, the whole thing. It's just enough. And then whether intentional or not, which I think it is, the kid, it's like he's the lookout. He's the one who's paid to signal the boss or Hwang in this instance, maybe, that someone is approaching. Yeah. And so that's the whole system of stuff here. That's the lookout. And the signal is the twirling fireworks. It's like we have eyes everywhere. You're in our town now, buddy. Right. Missy. Madam. Yeah. And then once we get the final location where everything's coming up, all that reveal, can we can chat a little bit about that and behind the scenes stuff. Did you have some stuff? Or no? You just, you just along for the ride? No. I got it. And... Since I was talking about the twirling firework thing, and this is in honor of 4th of July coming up. So this spinning fireworks these, that this kid lights off, you know, ignites here, they're called pinwheels or Catherine wheels. That's what I found out. Catherine wheels. Yeah. And records show the, ex- oh, it is interesting. And it has something I really like. Too. What? Torture and beheadings. Anyways, Catherine wheels. And the records show the appearance of the this pinwheel this firework the catherine wheel in the book of 1761 and in, in um 
is when it like actually first shows up. But it was over a thousand years before this that it actually originated. Not the firework, but the Catherine wheel, as I put that in quotes. It's in the middle of the fourth century in the legend of St. Catherine of Alexandria, where the Catherine wheel gets its start. So legend has it that Catherine was the daughter of the pagan king and queen of Alexandria. And she was this girl who converted to Christianity and lived her life in the pursuit of knowledge and learning as much as possible about the Christian faith. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, what has she devoted her life to? What, what is, she's getting down with it. So she was essentially irritated that the Roman emperor Maxinus, who was it? Maxinus? Maxinus. My tongue is not allowing me to say this properly. So I'm just going to say, I'm going to say Roman Emperor Max. <laughs> Max here, because we're on first name basis now, was forcing pagan idols down the throats, basically, of all the, the peeps here, okay? That she decided he's... Uh, so the idea is this guy's like, man, this girl is just causing havoc. She's preaching all this stuff, getting people to, to think about this, and I want people to do the pagan thing. So he brings in all his philosophers and has like this discussion, you know, thinking, I'm going to squash this by bringing in the philosopher dudes. Yeah. It's kind of like... Uh, Socrates, if you will, from Bill and Ted's. She comes in. And that's he, a random movie to bring up. It's it's philosophers. The philosopher okay. dude, I think that's what got me to it. It's weird. Just I still have a yeah. little bit of extra brain juice floating around by diverting energy. But she shows up to this and he doesn't realize Max is, is that she has all this knowledge and has studied up on it. So she puts everything to shame and she actually according to legend, converts some of his philosophers over, okay? Yeah. So he's pretty pretty pissed about all that and imprisons her like any man would do uh-huh. in a situation like that. And rightly so, obviously. <laughs> and then he doubles down on the idiotness. You know, it's what men do in this situation. He thought, hey, if I can't convince her of what the hell's going on and that I'm right about the pagan thing, I know what I'll do. I'll win her over by offering to marry her. Because <laughs> the guy's just a real stooge. He thinks that this is going to work. Because in the day, that's all women cared about was getting hitched. Well, yeah, you don't want to be a... Old uh, maid, for old sure. Maid, yeah. I mean, just watch... Uh, 20 years old, you're an old maid. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's a wonderful life, you know? Exactly. Didn't want her to end up as an old maid. Ah, oh, the hubris of men. Anyways, in the times... Unsurprisingly, she says no. I mean, blows mind. Wow, why he she wouldn't want to marry him? Yeah, it's strange. Uh, he's not a happy camper, and because he realized that I'm not all that, apparently. And he decided to have her tortured because that's what you do when a woman turns you down for oh, marriage: yeah. is you torture and put her to death. You know, on the breaking wheel. Well, you don't want anybody else to have her. That's correct, it, and actually, that's law. And I still think it's valid today, but I, I'd have to check on that. So he's going to put her to death on the breaking wheel. Some good old-fashioned torture device stuff here, right? Always fun. So the device itself is essentially a large wooden wagon wheel with a number of spokes on it. We've probably seen these in movies, you know. And then the accused would be, you know, lash spread eagle to the wheel before being beaten until the limbs would give way between the spokes. You've seen somebody tied up on the wheel before. Kind of like the rack, but this one's a wheel. Mm Mm-hmm. And fate supposedly caused the wheel to break when she touched it. Basically, it fell apart in this spectacular fashion. Oh, she's magical. That's where it goes. Uh, And it was attributed to an angel who blew up the device, killing the thousands of pagan gatherers who came to see her die. So hence, 
the explosive wheel, the breaking wheel, where Catherine was to be killed, yeah. becomes known as the Catherine wheel. And then the moral to the story, obviously, is she was beheaded because you can't cheat an unjust death. No, you can't. You have to go along with an unjust death. Even though after that, she deserved to live. Yeah, but she needed to be beheaded because she's still poor Max had his heart broken. But that's the origin of the Catherine wheel of the firework, the pinwheel that, that spins around. And they come in all different sizes. You nail them to trees and they spin around. Aren't they called really flowers big. here? No, those are different. These are the ones that actually would be nailed to something. Oh. The flowers are actually flowers on the are ground. Flowers are on the ground spin. Yeah, these ones have like a little rocket okay. thing that spins. Just like you saw. I mean, did you not watch the Yeah, here? but never mind. Does that look like a flower to you? Kind of. If you, if you were to nail a flower, unless there's enough room inside of it, which would be weird, it would just sit there like a little rocket. <laughs> it wouldn't spin. It wouldn't spin? No. Like I said, you'd have to make sure the hole was big enough, not all the gunpowder powders falling out. But anyways, Catherine wheel. There you go. So kids, as you set up your Catherine wheels for 4th of July. If fireworks are legal in your county. Yes, we don't condone illegal city. fireworks. Just think that you're symbolically torturing a woman. <laughs> about i mean i mean sorry i mean that was a mistake i mean showcasing a bit of patriotism <laughs> that was a slip of the tongue <laughs> i mean whenever i let off the you know ignite the catherine wheel i i say an ode to king max and for his broken heart it pains me he's like the davy jones of the fourth century when's the last <laughs> time you did a catherine wheel? i've never done a catherine wheel. no i didn't think so but how dare you you just ruined it <laughs> Now I'm going to have to go get one to dip my hat. I'm sorry. The Fireworks are not legal. That's true. I don't condone fireworks. And they scare our dogs. <laughs> that's true. So that's all I got. I'm going to end on Catherine. Oh, really? Now you have something after I was wrapping up? Are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, I have one thing for you. What? When Elizabeth sings... Oh, I'm sorry. You're the, going all the way back to sing... Okay. Yeah, I am. In the first screenplay draft of At World's End... Elizabeth is actually singing Blow the Man Down rather than Hoist the Colors. Huh. That's interesting. That would have worked too. But I think for the movie, for the song. Well, the whole the song carries on from the beginning to Hmm. here. So that's interesting. Yeah. What's even more interesting is you didn't bring that up when we were talking about it. Yeah, it was low on my notes. So I could have ended on the incredible note of somebody being beheaded. And broken on a wheel. Instead, Instead, we got to go back to a freaking positive note about blow the man down versus voice of colors. How dare you? I mean, freaking how dare you walk the plank? You know I'd like to end on the happy note of beheadings and torture. Man, that is sad. You got to end on blow the man down now. Which is an entirely bad proposition. But anyways, as we're talking about dead and men, I guess. Thanks for listening, scallywags. We're all... (laughs) 
I don't even know if I can go on with this. We're found all over the podcatcher world from Apple Podcasts to iHeartRadio. If you want to avoid a good old keel haul, if you want to make the show flow and end on a dead note, unlike Heather, leave us a re- positive review on I like iTunes. I Blow or, the Man Down. I think we all like Blow the Man Down. It's a song. It's a good shanty song. It's always good to hear from everyone, and re- the reviews really do help us grow the show. Plus, we'd greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment, you can give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. We just might play your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout out at podcast at blackpearlshow.com. And don't forget to give us a like on Facebook. All the links are at theblackpearlshow.com. You know what I'm going to say. It's that freaking easy. And of course, we're delivering. Really? That was my impersonation. Delivering? How do you say that again? Delivering. Delivering. With a swollen tongue. That's how Gibbs would say delivering. It's like lever. Lever. Miniature. Delivering. We're delivering pirate info to the masses as the dirty, freaking, filthy bilge rats we are. We're analyzing, scrutinizing, and plundering those blockbuster pirate films. Until then, scallywags, let's keep the horns swoggling to a minimum and the scurvy to yourself. Oh, and don't forget to hang that bastard. Bring me my rum. Oh, we need the rum after. Across the sea is not enough for me. All I want is to be free and hail Captain Blood. On and on eternally, what life of piracy. Hail the curse of Gilmanky and hail Captain Blood. Hail Captain Blood. Listening to the Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, Scallywags. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun, I think all you dirty, filthy bilgeats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music, that's with permission or license under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Six Nail Coffin, Tommy Wynn, and to the incredible pirate band Black Bones. The rest, well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather. This is a Shout Reach Media Production.